The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music! Charge at last! This nation is going to dance all night! A salsa-flavoured cover of World in Motion. What exactly is the lion's share of possession? Kieran Trippier and the acromioclavicular subluxation. In what very specific scenarios do players not cover themselves in glory? Andy Hinchcliffe's premature festive co-commentary. The Vatican City's FA Cup begins in earnest. And how shit must you be? We're doing a deep dive into self-deprecatory football chants. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 110 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me once again, uh, after the week of Conte, is Charlie Eccleshare. You're back. You're not busy anymore, I assume. No, it's yeah. That's it. It's uh, it's all done. <laughs> Got the first Good. week. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was quite hectic. But I did keep. There are a couple of things I did accumulate whilst away that I'd wanted to to share with you on the podcast. But wasn't able to. I mean, the first was, and this is Conte related. Was this idea of a managerial appointment being the most important appointment of chairman's tenure, mm. which seems to be said in every single one of their appointments because they're all really important. So you don't really get. Yeah, this is a sort of moderately important appointment for Daniel Levy. Um, <laughs> so that, there was a lot of that going around. I also heard, and I don't, I'd never heard this before. Instead of an outswinger, a way swinger for a oh. corner. Yeah, it really jarring. A way swinger. Um, it's not even a more effective way of of describing it. I don't like it. No, I I, I thought it sounded really odd. It sounded like it reminded me of the foot over um, mm, debate exactly. we had a few weeks ago. Yeah, it just goes to show that if you don't police these things, they tend to sort of slowly, gradually spiral out of control. Exactly. So I hope we've uh, we've nipped that one in the bud. Yeah. And then this was just something on the theme of um, self-important referees and officials, which I think we all, you know, we've we've all come to know and love. And this was actually the week before I was doing a piece on the United Spurs rivalry from down the years, and one of the touchstone moments of that was the Roy Carroll Pedro Mendes. Mm goal and the linesman from from that day got a lot of abuse at the time because he wasn't up with play and a few years after that incident the daily mail tracked him down to sort of get his you know, for him to break <laughs> yeah for him to break his silence on the issue uh, which he did and he came out swinging um so he in his defense he said the Tottenham players were brilliant they were shaking my hand and saying there was no way I could give a decision from where I was I also had 14 text messages from other refs saying I could have done no more. <laughs> no, the precision of that is just perfect. That he could more remember than a dozen. 14. Yeah. You're going to be saying more than a dozen. But not, 14. Uh, I just thought that um, was lovely, lovely um, officiating from, from that linesman. Yeah, proud of his proud of his work, proud of his profession, yeah. and rightly so. Yes, equally proud of his profession is David Walker alongside you today. Hi, David. Hello. Now, of course, uh, Charlie wasn't here last week, so he wasn't here to enjoy the unexpected pleasure 
of Glenn Hoddle's version of We Are The Champions, which we which we found on this strange compilation album called England's Glory. Um, so, Dave, I, I, I dove into this a little bit more to see what else was on this album. There's just a couple of bits of... You know, bits of chat between some of the England players. But what I also found was Hector Cortez and his formation and their cover oh, of right. World in Motion. A cover of World in Motion? It's a cover of it's a cover of World in Motion. So I, I didn't have high hopes for this. I don't know who Hector Cortez... Hector Cortez, to me, sounds quite famous. I thought it might be like a crooner from uh, from the 60s or something like that. But um, should we have a little listen? Yeah. Yeah. Love's got the world in motion I don't think this needed a Latin tinge, did it? Oh, very nice. (laughs) So, Charlie, my first thing, once I'd kind of absorbed this very strange cover of World in Motion, I thought, you know, who is Hector Cortez? And there's nothing on the internet about him whatsoever. There's absolutely nothing on the internet about Hector Cortez. But... My next question was, how was he going to tackle the John Barnes rap? That was exactly my first thought. Mm. Let's find out, shall we? Sounds like Alison Moyer. This is unbelievable. Is it the same bloke doing the rappers doing the song? I think it is, isn't it? It's all Hector. It's all Cortez. This, this level, this quality reminds me of hotels sometimes. They'll just kind of have music tinkling away. It's almost like they don't have the rights to get Yeah, they didn't have the rights to get Fair play to Hector Cortez. He's made it his own. Hector Cortez and his formation. What a band name that is. Yeah, that's slightly uh, botched, isn't it? And his formation. Yeah, it's not doesn't, great. It doesn't quite work. I can see what he was trying. It, also, does that it, suggest he specifically does football covers? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Hector Cortez is not a musical artist. It's someone pretending to be some sort of Latin figure for the purposes of this compilation album, and I need someone to tell me who the hell he is, because there's nothing, nothing on the internet about this. Mm. So, Dave, this is our next project. This is this is up there with getting the punditry from Three Lions, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, not quite as prestigious, really, in the annals of British football history, but... Um... It would please me just as much um, if, the, if Hector Cortez is out there, whoever you are, whatever your real name is. I back our listeners to, to find him. They've, they've come up trumps with some niche stuff before. Absolutely. So let's crack on with the adjudication panel then. Um, I want to start with a wonderful quote from the first round of the FA Cup at the weekend. Charlie, um, the Yorkshire Post had an interview with former York City striker Richard Brody, um, who'd had a couple of successful spells with the club and had been invited back to help out with some coaching ahead of their FA Cup tie. And um, uh, this, is, this is how keen he was to return. He says, I had this conversation a few weeks ago and the manager wants to help me progress my coaching career. When he rang me up, I would have walked here with no clothes on. Luckily, <laughs> I've got a car and my clothes on, but I generally would have, would have because it's an opportunity for me. <laughs> what an absolutely bizarre quote. <laughs> That's a relative of the I would have driven him there myself, which was mm. popular mm. Uh, around 20 years ago. Yeah, it's good that he's clarified as well that he didn't actually have to do that. 
absolutely bizarre. I mean, but he was yeah, prepared to do it. And, it, and of mm. course, if he actually did do it, he would have then not been able to take up the post due to having been arrested, I'm sure, at some point <laughs> Just, along the way. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the... Maybe the dryness of the humour got lost in the in the quote, but no, Charlie's right, Dave, to, to 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 kind of make a family tree out of this. It is the distant cousin of "I'll drive him there myself," but it's a very very close sibling, of you know. As when I heard of their interest, you know, I'll, I'll walk there, I'll swim there to play yeah. under. I'll so crawl so. on my hands and knees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it depends if you're if you're landlocked or or on an island, depending on that's that's your method of travel. But um, I would I would drive there naked. I would serve the time for getting arrested for indecent exposure. Mm. I would do all of that just to play for this team. That's how desperate he was to return to York City. But yeah, just absolutely bizarre quote. But um, but enjoyed it nonetheless. Next up, uh, it's great to hear Charlie that Steve Cottrell is well on the road to recovery after his bout of COVID-19. Um, Luke Summers sent this in. Um, there's, there can be no better indication that a, a true proper football man like Steve Cottrell is, is back to normal than this. You know, hopefully these vaccinations now are starting to do um, the business in and around the country. So if you haven't had them, you know, please get one. In and around the country. <laughs> one of my favourite uses of in and around for quite a while. I mean, it's such a crowded competitive field now. Mm. But um, a real breath of fresh air for that, that particular genre. Do you ever find that, because in and around, there are some times when it is, it's actually sort of appropriate, mm. but it's been so tainted that it's very, that you're kind of minded not to use it, which is a shame just... because it's, it's not, it's not a totally useless phrase, mm. but obviously it's now with examples like that, it's just become this ridiculous uh, sort of parody of itself. I just particularly enjoy it when someone really goes out of their way to use it, which is which is what it feels like he's done here. Vaccinations in and around the country. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I also good. like the the use of um, doing the business is quite is quite nice as well. That's a little bit footbally as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. He's you yeah. Know, really doing the business. These fans, yeah. the vaccinations, really repaying the uh, the government's faith. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Glad to hear Cottrell's back on form. John Patrick M93 raises a very important issue for the adjudication panel, Dave. Yeah, he says um, this was one minute and 20 seconds after kickoff of TalkSport's coverage of the Manchester derby. And Sam Matterface makes a huge claim. The ball sent wide by Walker out to Jesus, Manchester City, as you would expect, Steve McLaren, enjoying the lion's share of possession in the opening minute of the game. Can you enjoy the lion's share of possession in the opening minute of a game, David Walker? Uh, well, no. No, no. you can't, can you? <laughs> you can't dominate possession. You just have the ball. That's it. It's not, a, it's not a particularly significant amount of time to have it. I just, you know, I'm not criticising. I'm just saying this is a very important phrase in football. And I don't think you should be using it 80 seconds into a game. Well, at what point would the uh, would Opter first pop up with a possession? If you're Maybe the like first the live five, stats. Charlie. If it's a particularly, yeah, what you might you mean you mean on a TV broadcast? Yeah, I think first five, first five is the absolute earliest, and even then you'd only do it if they'd had like one hundred percent of the ball, and it was so remarkable. It wouldn't just be for a, for a general to get a sense of who's had the lion's share. Of Definitely shouldn't have it after a minute. I mean, the idea of it coming after a minute and the co-commentator by law having to go well, you can see there really dominating the ball so far, <laughs> being forced to say something, but. but and this is this is a crucial phrase. The lion's share of possession is a very common phrase in football. So, so Dave, timings aside, how much of the ball do you think a team should have to qualify as the lion's share? What is the lion's share? Sixty-five percent. Sixty-five percent or more. 
No, I think it, it can't be too much because if they're absolutely dominating the ball, mm. then it's not the lion's share. The lion's share, I think, to me is like you, you've had more of the ball, but you've not you've not like if you had eighty percent possession, that's not the lion's share. That's that's almost monopolising possession. How reasonable do you there's... think lions are when you try and share things with them? And they're like, they're taking it all. Yeah, they're not. They... You know. They probably are in a literal sense, but I think it's yeah. come to mean... Yeah, I don't think it means that you've had absolutely all of it. Okay. I think somewhere around that 60% is a, is a sweet spot for lion's reasonable, share. Reasonable, reasonable. We asked our listeners. John F. Ketamine says a lion's share of possession has to be late 50s. I assume he means high 50s to mid 60s. So he's kind of in the similar ballpark to you. Mm-hmm. Elliot Sweeney says lion's share is 57 to 65%. Any more and it's too dominating. Any less and it's just a majority. So he's on the same sort of page as you. Dom says around 60 40. I think share implies that it can't be too one sided. So everyone's sort of a consensus here. But I was thinking more sort of 75%. I nearly went 75%. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sort of with. I'm sort of with Charlie. But then your you, the point you made about the lions does make does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, we don't, <laughs> the last thing we want to do is get too literal here. Of course, defeating yeah, the entire point of the, of the podcast. Yeah, don't want to undermine ourselves. Um, just to complicate matters, Emma Levin Charlie says the commentator on the Leeds Leicester game started to say that Leeds are just shading possession when the graphic flashed up sixty one percent versus thirty nine percent, and you could tell he instantly regretted mm. everything. At what percentage does just shading become dominating? So maybe are we saying shading is about fifty to sixty, fifty to fifty-five? I don't think it's 52, as high. I think yeah, I think fifty-eight, fifty-nine would be too high for shading. I think mm-hmm. it is somewhere more in that fifty to fifty-five space. Okay, mm. just shading. Then lion's share takes it from. I, I think lion's share 70? is up. Is yeah, mm, I, I'd go up to about mid sixties. Wow. Personally. Wow. I think otherwise so, you're getting towards they've monopolized the ball or mm, they've yeah you know. Dominated, dominated possession. possession. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Well, we've got some way to figuring it out. Um, I feel like if we had one more observation on that, it would get quite boring. But um, but yeah, I think we can all agree that after 80 seconds, shouldn't be declaring lion's share of possession, no matter how you define it. Dave, I want to visit one of my favourite, personal favourite subgenres of football, which is Spanish clubs announcing moderate injury news in the most impenetrable medical language possible. And this is Atletico Madrid uh, announcing to the world that uh, after being taken to hospital and undergoing tests, Kieran Trippier's bone injury has been ruled out. The Englishman, in fact, has suffered a left acromyoclavicular subluxation. Any idea? It sounds like he's <laughs> dislocated his collarbone a bit. I'm going to Google but, it. But he hasn't fractured it. The bone itself is intact, but it's come away a little bit, but not enough for it to be a dislocation. But, Charlie, it is, it is just to clarify, an acromyoclavicular subluxation. Sounds made up. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't make any sense of that. So you've got the clavic, the clavicular. Yes. Oh, clavicle's yeah. the collarbone, Clavicle. isn't it? Yeah. 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 So an acro thingy bob subluxation is usually caused by a fall on the shoulder, which tears the acromyoclavicular ligaments. Oh, he's done right. His, he's okay, done his shoulder ligaments. Soft tissue. Okay, yeah. it's soft tissue. But, but it's very, I find this very odd, though, because Charlie, this is a this is a very common theme amongst Spanish clubs. They seem to sort of seem to sort of reveal their injury news. I remember uh, Lionel Messi with. Got relieved from Argentina duty for uh, I think it was a reacutement of pubic bone pain. But English clubs don't tend to do this. English clubs are just like oh, it's just a little knock. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> got a niggle. Give it a couple of days. Hopefully, <laughs> it'll scans. be back in a few weeks. Why do they do this? Why, do, why are they so weird about it? Don't know, but it is quite. I mean, like given that some clubs guard injury news like it's state secrets, mm. um, could do with a bit more of this uh, and have the fun of trying to decipher what it is they're talking about. 
Maybe they're just more thorough over there, Dave. I mean, I mean we were all accustomed to uh, Real Madrid's famous medicals where they get like hooked up like ET to their heart rate monitors, which we don't, again, we don't really do here. So maybe they're just more thorough over there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I still can't see, I still can't see the just, you know, sublaxations being tossed around willy nilly yeah. in the Spanish in the Spanish press. Who are you trying to impress? It doesn't work for me, yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Elsewhere this weekend, another curious football phrase, which which is really only conspicuous by its absence, Dave, which is the concept of a player not covering himself in glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to play you a clip from West Ham versus Liverpool. You'll, everyone will probably already know what the incident in question is, but the interesting thing about this is that it got you know full, full agreement from the commentary team. Fornals bends this one across... It will be checked like every goal. Right on the gate, covers himself in glory, Allison. Well, VAR's convinced that it is a goal. A shake of the head from Allison, who didn't cover himself in glory. <laughs> as soon as you've heard it twice, then it becomes uh, the microscope is wheeled out over this phrase. Now, for, now, first of all, Charlie, appropriate usage of covering him, not covering himself in glory. I think it's, I think it's textbook, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it is, and I think partly as well because he, because he normally is good and normally does cover himself in glory. I think that gives it an even more, even more legitimacy. Whoa, because you're not whoa, saying- whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody ever covers themselves in glory. You don't actually. No, do it's it. it's not ever said. But oh, I mean, yeah. because Al- because Allison's reputation is very good, it's a way of saying I'm not gonna I'm not going in and saying Allison's shit. But in this instance, it's basically a way of saying I think he's still good. But in this instance, oh, he's been okay, rubbish. that's an interesting angle. Okay, and he's um, really covered himself in glory. Yeah, today. he's really covered himself in glory there. <laughs> this fullback actually is a slouch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I. I don't think you. If that's David James in the mid '90s or something, you're saying, "Oh my God, what is he doing? I can't believe it's happened again." Whereas, you know, that's more. Uh, mm, I feel bad because Allison's good, but that's not great. Okay, so it's even more precise than I mm. perhaps thought. Um, now, whilst this was, in my eyes, a, a textbook example of a player not covering himself in glory, nothing too spectacularly bad, just unexpected and could have done better. Um, Greg Stewart says, I feel not covered himself in glory is best used when a player returns to the team following a failed transfer. Um, I, I kind of see what he means, but it feels too big a picture for me, Dave. It needs to be an incident, doesn't it? Yeah. I think this is it, like Harry Kane, I guess. You can, you could sort of apply it to Harry Kane. If you're looking at the whole sort of his his con, the general conduct in the way it's that he a bit handled of taste the, in the whole mouth. thing. That's as far as I would yeah. go. Yeah. Not, he isn't... Yeah. It's. I think so. It's. It, this is more. It's. It's a more of a, a footballing on-field thing for me. Yeah, I feel covered himself in glory is often you're using it as a way of saying, look, I'm not saying he's in the right here. So if a player's been like winding him, up, so you've got one player who is sort of provoking another player, and in provoking them gets a reaction and they lash out and they get sent off. You would then say, look, I don't think that player's covered himself in glory, but you cannot hit people. 
So it's a kind of a way of saying, look, I, I'm not, yeah. I don't think, you know, what he did wasn't right. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's a slightly different way of saying that, I think. Yeah, so, and, and I think it, it could be used in, in the context of diving, but I don't think mm. it, if it was for example, if it was for, uh, you know, Ashley Young back when he was seemingly the, mm. the chief diver of the Premier League. I don't think you would use it for him because he was so ex- used to seeing he just some a com- co-commentator would probably just get stuck in. Oh, we always see this from Young. We know yeah. he goes down easily. But if it was Harry Kane at yes. a tournament or something, or Michael Owen at the tournament or whatever in the World Cup, and they go, oh, look, I mean, look, he's not covered himself in glory there, but you <laughs> yeah, know, maybe you're but, right. But there's contact. There is yeah, enough contact yeah. for me. Yeah, I'm 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 one round. I'm one round. Uh, as Joe Watkins says, he says I think not covering themselves in glory should be used exclusively by a co-commentator watching a slow motion replay of a fairly obvious dive. So no, Joe Joe may well have nailed it. As have you, Dave? No, I'm I'm happy with I'm happy with that. But it would have to be a certain type of player. But I think otherwise, generally, it's more goalkeepers, and maybe fullbacks who haven't done enough to stop a cross, or sort of lax defending, maybe. But yeah, it can't be anything too spectacular. But there you go. I think it would then lead on to... So it'd be like, look, the fullback hasn't covered himself in glory. But you cannot, as a goalkeeper, make that kind of mistake. So it's kind of like the lead-in. But also, on the Allison point, just to reinforce that, if, if we remember, that w- it was a similar thing from Bert Leno that prompted the week in that Arsenal game where Weak. he absolutely lost it. it. It's just Arsenal... Weak, but so there is a big difference. Whereas I think if that's Allison, you're not saying weak. You're saying he's not covered himself in glory there because Absolutely. he has enough credit in the bank. That's a very. I think that's the crucial point here, which I didn't uh, anticipate. So well done, well done indeed. All of us covering ourselves in glory there in that debate. This may be a more open and shut case, Dave. This is from Southampton one, Aston Villa nil on Friday night, the fifth of November, I should add, because it's too early for this sort of chat, Andy Hinchcliffe. Too early. Crowd not happy there, they felt that should have been a free kick their way. Anything to see the seconds tick away. Yeah, I'm not sure Andy Madley's going to be on many of the Southampton fans' Christmas card list. <laughs> can't be doing it on the 5th of November. <laughs> you can't do you it on can't. the 5th of November. You can't. And I, I was in Birmingham this weekend, yeah. and uh, we were walking Here through we the, the centre yeah. of Birmingham, and happened upon a, a massive Christmas market. And with with some poor old bloke singing jingle bells oh. while people were just queuing up for their massively overpriced big steins of beer, mm. um, and I thought it's what it's like. It's the fifth of November. It's the sixth of November. Mm. This is I'm not having this. So I told the guy, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> is that guy now no longer on your Christmas card list? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think we we've all agreed, Charlie. That it's it's far too early to be engaging in Christmas related football chat, but. This is a stone-cold commentary classic, isn't it? It feels a little bit outdated, which I think is just right as well. But yeah, it's it's a co-commentator's dream, the Christmas card mm. list. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, to the point where I feel like you even hear it completely outside of season because it's just so uh, almost ubiquitous. I mean, I thought with that, it might be a kind of bonfire... That that like November the fifth feels like a sort of thing Martin Tyler would get hold of, mm. in you know the sort of like with the, with the James Bond film coming out as if that was a kind of national holiday, <laughs> and it's something that you know doesn't. I, I don't think Bond is something that everyone is kind of yeah really conscious of, but I could imagine him really going hard on that if he if he was commentating on a game on on Bonfire Night. If you were to update the reference for more contemporary times, surely it would be well. 
he's not going to be getting a copy and pasted WhatsApp on Christmas morning, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Won't be on their distribution list. Yeah, we do. We do need to update some of these. But if 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 any step five or above referees are listening, if you've ever received a Christmas card from a set of fans, a player, or a manager, despite that being slightly inappropriate, do let us know. Well, I wonder if that linesman I referred to earlier with his 14 text messages from fellow referees, whether he, it sounds like some of the Spurs players were so in awe of his performance. He might have been on their Christmas card list. (laughs) What do you even write? What would you even write in a Christmas card to a referee? (laughs) I don't even know what you Keep up the good work. (laughs) I know I've I've been hard on you this year, but you've Mm. done a great job. Yeah, guess so. Now, Dave, a fair bit of focus on the FA Cup first round this weekend, but that overshadowed the domestic cup competition kicking off in the Vatican City this week. Uh, the Vatican Cup begins today, the Copa Vaticana, uh, eight-team tournament um, for the Vatican City. Um, two groups of four teams. Uh, the top two then go and in each group then go and compete in the semi-finals. But you maybe your your first thought was how you know how can they how can they even assemble eight teams from such a tiny tiny little part of the world? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. This is Group A. Archivio, who I'm assuming are the archives lot. Associazione Santi Pietro e Paolo. I googled this and I couldn't work out what they what they do, but they're they're a big deal. They're a big deal. Okay. Pharmacia. Yep. So that's right. that's pretty obvious. Santos. Figios. So I don't know. They're just a you know. the love Pele. Yeah. So not not quite the glamour side of the draw, but Charlie in Group B. When the Santos go marching in, is that safe? Just, yeah, the Saints. I don't know. Well, much fancied, I guess. <laughs> Charlie, in Group B, Musée. This is the museum staff of Vatican City. The Gendarmeria. That's the Vatican police. Yeah. Crunch right. clash between them and the Swiss guards. Oh, wow. Ooh. And maybe the dark horses of this lot, the Bambino Gesù Children's Hospital staff. Everyone's second favourite team. Is there a group of death? Hoping not the Children's Hospital. That's yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know who the favourites are, frankly. But um, but I'm just. It's, it's kind of cool in a quirky, kind of weird little way. This was via the well-travelled Paul C. Watson, who knows about this sort of thing. Right. Um, and, do we know? Uh, do we know which way the the Pope is uh, is leaning with these towards these teams? Is he a fan? Is he a, is he an ultra for any of these teams? Is he staying neutral? Is he like the Pele of the Vatican situation, where he's sort of you know going around all of them and. Just Giving them all some praise beforehand. Um, I, I, I'm assuming he'll he'll be doing some sort of David Cameron gaffe where he declares allegiance to one team and then one of the others the next week. But you know how it goes in the Vatican. He's famously very into football, though, isn't he? The uh... yeah, aren't they always? Is he another goalkeeper? They're always goalies. Mm, not sure. I he's think a goalkeeper. he is a goalkeeper, isn't he? I think he is a goalkeeper. Maybe. He? Was that was that John Paul II oh. was a goalie? Right, okay. Nick Pope, Nick Pope is a goalie. <laughs> the Vatican Cup's going to unfold this week, so we may revisit it on Thursday. See how everyone's getting on. See who's in the semi-finals. Who's, who's got um, the rights? Premier Sports, I reckon. Sounds very <laughs> Premier Sportsy, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Satanta would have had them uh, back in the day, or, or I reckon it might be. It might be a sort of streamed live on Live Score or something, Charlie. I think like that might be the level. Hello, Keezy, Andy. I've spoke to the Vatican. We're on. <laughs> Be in, be in. Oh, sports. that would be amazing. I have spoken to the Pope himself. The Pope and I have been in contact. Pack your bags. They said he might go to archives. Not going to happen. <laughs> Not going to happen, Andy. Not glamorous enough. No. <laughs> no. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful. Brought to your ears by the Athletic. This is football cliches. I'm interested in a certain strand of football chance, Dave. We asked our listeners about their, their favourite self-deprecatory football chance because it's a very, it's a fascinating strand 
mm. of a football fandom, this kind of gallows humour. I feel like it happens more now because there's more there's more to be gained from being seen doing it. There's more to be gained from the the kudos of, of hammering your own team after travelling, you know, a thousand miles to watch them. Charlie, you can come in if you want. Yeah, I mean that's very like we've had a shot. You know, fans. I remember there being where fan away fans would go mad because you know in celebration that they had a shot. How shit must you be? We're winning away, etc., yeah. etc. Yeah, you're right. I mean that it has become a you know class from the insert you know Plymouth fans who've travelled all the way up to the northeast and. Mm. You know, they're still they're still cheering. Maybe it's much as more drawn to our attention now as well that you know in, in the age of fans, the, every move being recorded on social media. Mm. Yeah, it just it just feels like something that never really happened back in the day. It doesn't feel like a traditional thing from back in the day. But um, mm. I, I really enjoy this particular example. This is from Tom Hancock. Um, this is a very localized chant. Sometimes sometimes the the chants are talking about the state of the club at that time or the fact they're in terrible form. But this is simply uh, Portsmouth fans um, tracking the movement of the ball between the two teams. It's almost as if they've got a conductor or something. It's absolutely sensational. I mean, the dexterity, Dave, to switch between, you know, mid-verse to realise that they've lost the ball, to switch to we've lost the ball and not let the verse just play out. That's professional level self-deprecation, isn't it? Really good. Yeah, you do suspect whether they have they been practising because it requires... It requires mass concentration there. Everyone's got to do it in mm. time, and they were pretty—they were pretty bang on. That looks really fun, Charlie. It looks really fun to be involved in. I can see why, if you're on an away trip and it's petering out, or you're getting battered or something, that would—that would, uh, would really amuse you for for a good few minutes. Uh, more bread and butter stuff from Tom Barnaby. He says the classic five-four. We're gonna win five-four when four-nil down. That becomes mm-hmm. six five when the inevitable happens. I feel like this is one of the chants that must, by law, be mentioned by the commentator, Dave. Like, is it fans there singing? We're going to sing five four. <laughs> a little hopeful <laughs> there, I feel. It's compulsory, Charlie. One particular substrand of this, Dave, is the "How shit must you be? We're winning away" and its variants. Ed Quoth Raven says this sort of thing is drenched in self-deprecating glee, which is a lovely way of describing it. The the the, the how shit must you be? We're doing something that we haven't done recently. X is um, it, 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 I think it's the perfect, most perfectly weighted example of this. Yeah, I think it's. Good. I mean, it's it's good that you know we as football fans at times can show some humility at least. Good to know the form book as well. You yeah, know. yeah. So you've done your research. Perhaps this can be stretched a little bit too far, Charlie. Gavin Dennison says he went to the Everton-Norwich game at the end of September and the Norwich fans were chanting, how shit must you be? We're drawing away after 10 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, that's, that's too quite far. I, that's I can see that. It. I can see that they, you know, they wanted to get that out and probably wanted to go one further. They wanted to really hammer home this point. And they may have thought, who knows when we're actually going to go ahead in a game, given it had been about 20 uh, before this weekend that they had. It's not always light-hearted though, Dave. Um, some of them, some of these chants are really sort of designed to bring about change in their football club. G. Rispin says Hull City versus Coventry uh, recently. Many chants of sacked in the morning aimed at Hull manager Grant McCann. Has anyone researched the likelihood of being sacked on a Sunday? Seems more of a weekday procedure. 
should these <laughs> chants be reserved for Sunday or midweek games? And it feels particularly cruel to be chanting it at your own manager, isn't it? Yeah, I was I was uh, at the, the the Newcastle game this season at Watford, and they were just relentlessly. I mean, obviously, I know there's context around it, but they were just relentlessly going, "We want Brucey out, so we want Brucey out." Mm. Which wasn't even sacked in the morning. It was, you know, including the name of it. But we've we've had a, we've had a few Sunday sackings though this season, haven't we? Yeah, Dean Smith no, yesterday. No mucking about. Yeah, no he had to cancel his game of golf. Also, the the relative of that, which is kind of uh, banter and you know digging out a manager, is this new breed of like we want you to stay or with you know with with an opposition manager to show that that's how oh, bad we I think see. you are. So you know, like or on Saturday, five more mm. years, City fans singing to. Solskjaer United five more years which is a kind of natural next step from the taunting about getting sacked because yeah, it's it even less worse cruel. in a way yeah it feels less I don't cruel know. but more pissed maybe more yeah it's, yeah it's it's pretty pointed this idea that it's in our interest for you to stay you know sacked in the morning just scans really nicely you can't do sack tomorrow lunchtime Gonna be sacked tomorrow. Lunch sacked in the evening. Just still doesn't really. If if you if you you know if I had a gun to your head, Dave, and you had to say what is the average time and day of a sacking, I'm thinking sort of Monday, Monday lunchtime, sort of about twelve ish. Well, no, I my so my um my years of working on breakfast radio, uh, <laughs> I I can pinpoint it precisely to about okay. nine forty five a.m. Really? It always seemed to. We always seemed to, and the show would finish at ten a.m. And there, you know, there would always be like, it could go. We're not sure. And then, like, bang, the the, the Sky Sports News ticker would just flash at nine forty-five a.m. And we'd have to scramble the last fifteen minutes of the show. Quick, get me so and so to talk about this club or that club. That makes mm. sense, actually, Charlie. That can make sort of sense because nine forty-five gives the club enough time to summon the manager to the training ground and and for yeah to see him going through the gates. Yeah, I think last week Nuno would have been around that time in ke- in keeping with with that time frame. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, which is harsh because in my head I think of like um, sort of later in the afternoon, but maybe that's just a couple of examples have skewed that for me. So yeah, Monday nine forty five. This works actually because you got the Sunday that played on Saturday or Sunday. You've got the fallout locked in talks all day Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. And then Monday morning, Sky will be in situ at the training ground to see them turn up. Someone will yep. tweet, breaking, man arrives at work. Yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that gag. I mean, had to deal with a lot of that during the summer, reporting on whether Harry Kane was or wasn't, and when he was, breaking, yeah. man goes to work, yeah. Exactly. Then he's sacked, then it's announced. So yeah, 9.45 on a Monday, sounds about right. Maybe the Athletics should do an uh, investigative long read on this. Uh, maybe we will. Maybe we will. This brings us to the, the the climax of this section. This is um from a piece the other day by the Athletics, Philip Buckingham, who was on the road with the Sunderland fans. Now, this is the context, Dave. This was four days after they capitulated in a 5-1 defeat down the road at Rotherham. Then they went to uh, Sheffield Wednesday and lost 3-0 on a Tuesday night. And uh, so they sang, we're fucking shit. We're fucking shit. We're fucking shit. Which, you know, all perfectly understandable. But the manager addressed it directly afterwards, which I think I've ever heard before. <laughs> Lee Johnson, he says, we're not fucking shit. I promise you that. <laughs> What's their emphasis on that? We're not fucking shit. We might be a bit shit. <laughs> we are shit, but we're, yeah. we're not fucking shit. Yeah. I promise you that. Um, I have to ask the fans to keep the faith, and I know they will. Um, more, I'm. I want more managers um, quoting football chants verbatim, please, Charlie. Yeah, because that does sometimes get put to them, though, doesn't it? It will be like you know, you had 
it, fans there were calling for your head or whatever it is. But for him to just bring that up and, and something that uh, that rudimentary. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Huge kind of worms potentially here. So, um, uh, Jose, the fans were singing that you were going to win 5-4 at 4-0 down. It didn't quite, didn't quite happen for you. Tell us the thinking behind that. <laughs> Does that show the level of belief that there still is yeah. for, your, for your project? I won't be sacked in the morning, I can tell you that, because I know what time the chairman gets in and it's never until lunchtime. Steve, um, how shit must they be for you to be winning away? <laughs> Tremendous. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear managers confronted with the raw lyrics of a football chant. That'd be wonderful. Oli, it, it seems the Manchester City fans want you to have another five years at the, <laughs> the club. Well, that's very nice of them to say, but yeah, all I know is that I'll be in charge for the uh, charge for the uh, on Tuesday night, and that's all that matters. Speaking of lyrical delivery, I want to end today's episode uh, with something quite special. This is via Matt Connell, who sent me a delicious slice of Peter Drury. Now I know what you're expecting. I know what you're thinking. It's going to be it's going to be a lengthy monologue, lots of alliteration. No. No, this is Express Peter Drury, and he's absolutely nailed the renaissance of David Moyes. He's had some grim old afternoons in the company of Liverpool down the years, David Moyes. You wouldn't blame a man who is looking younger day by day for dancing around like a teenager in love. I, oh, I, <laughs> I, love, I love just that very subtle pause where yes! he's, just, he's just going like a... I don't know, teenager in love. Because almost, I think with anybody else, Charlie, that little pause to deliberate what he was going to say probably would have ruined it. But but in Drury Land, it's almost like he'd sort of looked up at the sky and sort of, <laughs> yeah. spree, sort of sniffed in the air and thought, a teenager in love. And got it perfectly right. Nailed it, yeah. He, uh, he does have a knack. No one else is going to be describing David Moyes in those terms, Dave. No, I love the idea of Drury Land. Drury Land, Paris. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> would go. I would yeah. go. Would definitely go. A Drury, a Drury theme park. On that note, uh, thanks to you, Charlie, for a triumphant return to the Football Clichés podcast. Thank you. Thanks to you, Dave. Thank you. And we'll see everyone next time. Cheerio. The Athletic.